Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you'll find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Jackie. I'm glad you have this little thing to stand on. <laughs> My name is Jackie. I'm a compulsive overeater. When I first came to program years ago, there was a um, young woman who used to get up and, and when she'd say her name, she'd say, I'm not going to use her real name. My name is Gert. I don't gamble. And that was me. You know, I did a little bit of everything, but I didn't gamble. I felt like it was standing on a street corner, cutting up money and letting it drift away. I discovered, I, I thought, okay. Oh, trying to say seven things at once really doesn't work. Um, I came into program in June of 1988. I had just... I was somewhere between a size 20 and a size 22. I'm not quite sure. I think I was just outgrowing the 20s. I was over 200 pounds. I had five children. I was just finishing up my third divorce. Three of my children were out of the house. The relationships with them were poor, very poor. Because I knew everything, and I knew what to tell everyone. And if you would just listen to me, I could tell you how to do it right. Now, this is the woman who's ending her third marriage, declared bankruptcy in the California courts, went up and down the scale like a flipping yo-yo. I mean, I was well over 200 and at one diet I was down so low people were stopping me on the street and asking me what the hell I was doing and to please stop it because I looked like a cadaver and I thought that was a compliment um, I went to a therapist who I knew had an eating problem and had quote unquote in my opinion solved it and she was the therapist, she was the person who talked me into finding Overeaters Anonymous. And I will be forever grateful to that woman till the day I die. Now, going back, I'm sure we all have had similar upbringings in one way or another. Because of this program, I have come to believe that my parents didn't stand there over my crib when they brought me home from the hospital and say, let's see how badly we can screw this one up. I, you know, I, that wasn't it. They did the best they could with the tools they have available. There was an AA speaker when I first came into program who used to say that, that best they could with the tools they had available. The sad thing was that they had a horrible set of tools. You know, as, as time went by and I learned about my parents, my parents didn't have an easy time of it when they were kids, and they just didn't know how to parent. I was, I was a very skinny, sick kid born in Brooklyn, New York. And they said that on a Monday, they told my parents that I would not survive another year 
in New York in the winter. So it wouldn't happen because I just had something the matter. Thank you. That the weather, it was too cold, whatever it was, it was, I was, believe it or not, I was an undernourished child. Maybe I was two years old. I was super skinny, very sick. They told them on a Monday, on the following Wednesday, we were in a car on our way to Cousins in California. So they obviously loved me. I never figured that out until I got into program. I started gaining weight when I was about nine years old, and I started hearing in school, you know, the things that a lot of people go to, well, maybe you have to be closer to my age when the days that they were still weighing everybody one at a time in the classroom, and the teacher would call out the weight to the person who was writing it down, and I was always the biggest girl. Uh, That was not fun. I started taking diet pills when I was 12, I believe. The doctor gave them to Mama, and Mama gave them to me. And I'll never know for sure if I was ADA or if it was the damn pills. But i got to tell you, you climb the walls with those things. But I had, as I hit puberty and as I developed as a female... I got away with murder. Now, I was a teenager when you had the um, poodle skirts, the felt poodle skirts, and you would wear three or four horsehair slips and crinolines and all of this under it, so that if you walked down the aisle between the desks in school and you didn't knock things off, (laughs) you did not have enough skirts. You did not have, no, and it was just, that's the way it was. Great big belts. And I had a tiny waist, even when I was there at my heaviest, I went in in the middle. My weight was up here and down here, and you could get away with murder in the clothes that we wore. So I didn't have a problem dating, but I was miserable. I was always, always unhappy, and I couldn't figure out why. I would come home from school. My mother was an at-home mother, and my grandmother, who I adored, lived with us. So I came home from school. I would sneak into the kitchen and make a bunch of bread, mustard, and ketchup sandwiches, sneak them into my bedroom, and read. And that was, that was basically what I did. And that was not, I didn't like organizations. I certainly didn't like sports. I liked boys and food. (laughs) Um, At 17, no, at 16, I decided that what I needed to do was get married and get out of the house. If I could get married and get out of the house and and maybe have a baby, because the baby would love me, that would be, we didn't use the words unconditional love in those days. I mean, I, I don't know if I ever heard it when I was growing up, but your kids loved you no matter what. That was the rule. So that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to get married, and I wanted to have kids. At uh, 16, 
16, I found, my, I found a man who was as sick as I was, as crazy as I was, and who my parents absolutely detested, which made him perfect. And I eloped. It was in March. So my, I had turned 17 in January. We eloped in March. On the way back from the wedding, we had an automobile accident. And I was in the hospital and in a brace from my under my armpits to my hips for I think about two or three months, which stopped them from ending the marriage, which stopped them from fighting anymore, because after all, I got hurt. So the war was over. Suffice it to say that I did not know how to choose. My, my, one of my sponsors said to me, your picker was broken. Sick chooses sick. Sick does not choose healthy. If a healthy person gets interested in a person who is very ill, they will leave. They will not get involved. I mean emotionally well. I was an addict. By that point, I was, I was using food. I was taking diet pills. Very shortly thereafter, after I got married, I lost a lot of weight for the marriage. We got, we got married, and I just ballooned. But I got pregnant. I had my baby. That's, that was the plan. I had my baby. I also had four more, five more of those babies. Um, I kind of held it together a little bit, but my second child, a little boy, we lost to SIDS. And that broke me. And the only thing I could do was eat. Eat and try to take care of my first child. And I kind of like almost don't remember a couple of a couple of years. When my son was born, I just hardly barely remember him being born. The doctor was very kind and put me on Librium so that I could deal with the pain of having lost a child. So it was that was the, we now had food, cigarettes, alcohol, and pills. Both uppers, which is all that diet pills are, and and you know they're not sleeping pills; they're sedatives, I guess, the tranquilizers. And then they start after a year, number of years after that. Not a lot. I was still married to my first husband. <clears throat> I called the doctor and I said something's really wrong. He says, "What's that?" I says, I'm reaching for the bottle of Valium before I reach for a cigarette. That's changed. He says, oh, no. He says, oh, no. He says, you got to stop. No more Valium. And they took me off Valium. And that was my first little um, treat of what withdrawal is like. And little by little, because what I had done was I had this whole collection of things that I did. I had food, I had alcohol, I'm a one drink pass out drunk. So all I had to do was drink a glass of wine next to my bed and I would go to sleep immediately. Sometimes with my clothes on, but that was it. I was, you know, and then, um, and I had the diet pills and I had 
spending, whatever else, whatever we do. But when I had everything, I could dip into a little bit of each thing, and nothing got too crazy. But then I had to give up the Valium. Then I had to give up the diet pills. Then I had to give up the cigarettes. The doctor said, you're starting emphysema if you don't stop now. Today, you will definitely have it. And so I gave up the cigarettes, and all that was left at that point was alcohol and food. And that was when I ballooned. So fast forward, five kids, everybody's growing up, everybody's doing okay, nobody's being arrested, they're growing up, they're finding people, they're getting married, they're moving out of the house, they're still, now there's only two at home. And I was a traveling sales rep, and I'm driving home from, from appointments in San Diego, and when you come in from that side of Los Angeles, you come in through a bunch of freeway overpasses. It's just, it's fascinating to look at, but it's just a lot of big cement pillars. And I found myself thinking, if I hit one of those at 65 miles an hour, they'd never know it wasn't an accident. Being a Jewish girl from an Orthodox Jewish background, the only sin you cannot be forgiven for is suicide. I scared myself to death with that thought, and that was when I went to therapy. I asked a woman that I knew, that the therapist told me I needed to go to OA. I went to my first meeting. Um, my first meeting was a Sunday woman stag. I asked this lady who I knew I was in program and I knew her from work if she would go with me. She was my Eskimo. And we walked in the door and I see this group of women standing around a table in the middle of the room and they're talking and smiling and touching each other. You know, people are hugging. And I'm looking at this, and it was so foreign to me. And Linda had said, look for someone who has what you want. And I looked at the interaction between these people, and I said, that's what I want. I want to be able to be with people like that. To be open and talking and smiling and... Nobody had that look that they felt the way I usually did in a crowd, which like there was this glass wall in front of me and everybody else was on the other side of it. And she said, you can have that here. If you do what we tell you you need to do. And I was at that point of demoralization and misery that all I wanted was, please tell me what the hell to do to not feel the way I feel. So she, she said to me, I don't, I don't have, I ha I'm full. I really can't sponsor anybody else, but I love to work with newcomers. I'll give you three months to find a sponsor that you're willing to work with. But for this three months, although we say our program is that of suggestion, 
Please know that my suggestions are written in stone. (laughs) And she said, and what I will ask you to do is 90 meetings in 90 days. You do not eat sugar. You do not eat white flour. You call me every morning at 6.30. You tell me exactly what you're going to eat for the day. And if you choose to change anything, you call me before you change it. If you leave a message, that's fine if I'm not there. (coughs) And I looked at her and I said, whatever. If you can make this change, and she says, you'll make it change. I'll just give you the means. I, I know it's bragging when I say I went to 88 of those 90 meetings. In, th- in, in three months, I picked, I kept looking for a sponsor, and I found the woman that I wanted to sponsor me. She was out of AA. She was very brusque. And I was a salesman. I needed somebody who wouldn't put up with my garbage. And I thought that Charlotte was that person, but she was full. So I, I so I just kept waiting and waiting and I'd ask her every month and every month she'd say she'd full. At one point I said I said it in front of somebody else and, and she said you're putting me up on some kind of pedestal. I don't want that. And a, a woman who is now my sponsor and my friend looked at her and said that's alright Charlotte just start sponsoring her. You'll fall off. <laughs> and nobody got mad. I mean she said that, and nobody got pissed off, and that floored me because all I knew was how to be defensive and be angry. At nine months, she had a space for me, and I got to tell you, I didn't have to do 90 and 90, but I did four meetings a week, and they were the same meetings so that I could develop relationships with people. I was told, when somebody asks you to do something in a program, your answer is, thank you, God, for letting me be of service. There is no reason why not, unless it is physically impossible. And getting involved that way, being of service at every one of my meetings, even if it was just a little thing like taking out the trash after the meeting, because in, in the Valley, when we were at the Darby office, we had to take out the trash in the, at the end of the meeting. And just anything I could do, make the telephone list if they had a telephone list that went around, whatever it took to be part of because every time I became involved with my meeting whenever I took a service position it became my meeting it was it was not just a place I dropped by it was mine it was important to me it was necessary and as as time went by and I I I did the steps and For me, what I find, whenever I find myself drifting or I hear myself, you know, when you're home and you're 
looking at the clock and you know you got to get up and go to the meeting and you're thinking, I worked all day. I'm tired. I don't want to go out tonight. I don't, I don't need to. I don't need. It's like, that's when I'm in trouble. And I, I, I don't know how many of you were here 20 years ago, but we did a lot of this inner child stuff then and, and talking to the voice in your head. And I still talk to that voice in my head. And I would hear that. We don't need to go to a meeting tonight. You were at two meetings this week. Da, 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 da. And I was like, yeah, right. Yes, we do. I'll go to the meeting. I'll see you when I get home. You can stay here. <laughs> if you can figure out how to stay here, you can stay here. But I need to go to the meeting. The more I hear myself saying I don't need this, the more I do. The more I find myself drifting, being less involved, and I know for me that's very, very dangerous territory because I can, I can have back what I had 28 years ago. It's not hard. I can have every bit of that misery and, and self-denigration and anger and crap back. All I have to do is stop working the program and start eating again because that will come if I stop working the program and go back to where I was before. I can have every minute of it back and I'm not willing. I'm just not willing. So I find if I find myself drifting, I call somebody up and I say, I need to go through the steps again. Would you take me through the steps? And I start all over again with somebody on step one. And I'm doing it again now. I, I step, I'm on step two. Because every time I work my way through the stuff, through the steps, I discover more crap. I discover more things that I don't want to remember. And I, I discover the excuses I make to myself. You know, it's... It's okay to put baked tortilla chips back in my food plan. After all, I can count them. A portion is 12 or whatever. So I can put those back. No, I can't. No, I can't. For me, chips a portion. I know what a portion of chips is. The damn bag from Costco. That's a portion. You know? No, 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 not a good plan. So, just recently I told my sponsor, I said, uh, I know you're not altogether crazy about taking food, but I need, to, I, need to, I need to give you my food. She says, why, are you messing around? I says, no, but I'm thinking about it way too much. I'm thinking about it too much. I'm starting to think about those foods that I don't have in the house Back in the day, we used to do, when there was this red light, orange light, green light foods. And you'd make this list. The red light foods were the foods that I can't eat. I just can't eat those foods. There, there is no way in the world there would be one candy. It's not going to happen. I mean, there may be one on Monday, and then another one on Wednesday, and then the whole box on Saturday. You know, it's, I know myself all too well. So, 
those are those are out. But the orange light foods, those are the foods that I can't have in the house. You know, if I'm out at a restaurant, I can have a little bit of this or a little bit of that because it's a portion and and I'm not going to have it at home. I'm not going to continue with it. But those are the foods that, well, maybe I could have that at home. Maybe I could just portion it out. I could put it in baggies and just put one portion in each baggie, and then I would already, if it's got that much work, it's, it's not good for me. I always say, when an inanimate object learns my name, <laughs> there, there is an issue. There is a problem. So if it's in my refrigerator and I'm hearing, Jackie, come on. You know, I'm here. I'm waiting. And for me, it's stupid things now because my food plan is so limited, not because of OA, but because of medical, that there's, there's gold veggie, soy, or whatever they make, cheddar cheese things in my fridge. When they learn my name, I got I gotta go. <laughs> I just got they gotta go. They've gotta be out of the house. So God has gifted me in this program with these things. Now, just because you get into twelve step doesn't mean that everything that you ever did to yourself suddenly goes away. So at seventy five and a half years old, I have already had Heart surgery, I had a triple bypass, wreckage of my past, a mastectomy, cancer. Two years ago, I had a year and a half ago, I had a stroke. And I'm here. And I exercise three days. Well, I exercise on a pedal machine at home five days a week. I go to the gym three days a week. My doctors are very happy with where I am and what is going on in my body. I am basically as healthy as a 75-year-old woman with that many things having happened can be. I am gifted with this by this program with lovely relationships with all of my children to the point that my granddaughter rented an apartment across the street from me with her husband, and now there's a child. And her reasoning is very simple. Grandma never drops in. Ever. And that's the truth. I do not interfere in their lives. I have learned, if you've ever heard it, we have this little little reading, How to Avoid Playing God. First one, offer no advice unless it is asked. And even when it's asked, I say, please don't remember, please don't forget who you're talking to. I've been married, my, my last husband was a program person, may he rest in peace. That was the best thing that ever happened to me. But um, just remember who you're asking. All I have to give is what I have learned in these rooms. Everything that comes out of my mouth is something I have heard from somebody else in these rooms. The gift of this program is beyond belief. Thank you for letting me share. If anybody has any questions, we have a few minutes. Yes, sir? Thanks, Jackie. Um, can you talk a little bit about how OA's changed over the last few years? 28 years? 
they uh, the question was how has OA changed in the last 28 years that I've been here they didn't put up with much nonsense when I came in I mean when a sponsor said this is what you do that's what you did Be- and, and when you said and when, and when you whined I mean, and I was real good at that so when you whined it was like you said you want what we have do you this is how we got it. You know? It's a shame that a newcomer can't get just this huge into the mind of someone else to see what their lives are like 10, 15, 20 years later. It's amazing. But there's been a lot of changes. We've gotten, in my personal opinion, way too politically correct. <laughs> Okay. Um, can you talk a little bit about your, your higher power and your spiritual awakening or spiritual experience, how that unfolded? Uh, she asked if I could talk about how my spiritual experience unfolded. I came in believing in a God who murdered my infant son because I had sinned. That was where I was when I walked in the door. I believed in God, but he didn't like me very much. I was told that I could have the God of my choosing and that I had to figure out what I need. And back in that day, we did a want ad. And I wrote down what I would like from a God. And then she said I had to write down what I had to offer. Because when there's a job, there's two sides of it. So I wrote down what I have to offer is a slightly damaged, very unhappy woman who will do anything I can to heal and I did a lot of work but I got that God I pray every morning I just I when I wake up I say the third step I say the third step prayer the first three steps then I get up and and when a few minutes later where I get to my books and where my things are I sit down I have this little thing that's straight from the book asking God to direct my day and I read for today and I read in the big book or the 12 and 12 just one or two pages and then I I leave knowing that God is on my side and I go out into my day and I ask for help very often ask for help anybody else? Yes? Hi. Um, in what ways has the program become politically correct? I get myself in trouble. Um, she asked, in what ways do I think the program has become politically correct? My opinion is there's just way too much our poor baby at making excuses for, um, I've had sponsors call me, God bless them, I love them, but call me over here. Well, I couldn't help it. And my question is very similar, my answer is very similar to what a sponsor said to me one time. Who took the food, put it in your hand, and put it in your mouth? I remember years ago I was whining about my exes and poor victim me. 
And she looked at me and she said, who the hell held a gun to your head when you walked down the aisle? You chose them. You need to figure out why. And in this program, I did. Yes. I've gone through the steps. This is my sixth time. And each time I've used something different. I've done the AA 12 and 12 a couple of times. I was, I was part of a meeting that had an inventory that was thick, thick, and we did that, that one, that time. Right now we're using the OA 12 and 12. I just keep working on it. The literature is magnificent. When somebody said to me in the beginning of my program, anything you need you will find in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous if you spend some time looking. I thought she was nuts. But I did. I found it. Everything I need is in that book, including to go to doctors and psychiatrists and therapists if needed. Yes? So, uh, my question is, since you've done the 12 steps out of different literature every time, right, for the time that you have, and you get a sponsee, how do you decide which way to sponsor her? If, if the question is if I've used different literature to go through the steps, how do I choose what to do when I get a new sponsee? I always sponsor exactly the begin in the beginning exactly the same way I was sponsored. In the beginning, your very first. Uh huh. Um, when you were starting, I guess, to repair your relationships with your kids when you came in the program. How did you process the feelings that came up? I'm assuming you became jokes, or how do you work on Lots of writing. The tool of writing for me has been an amazing gift. I was told, that, you know, you may have to write about a subject 26 times, but eventually you get down to that little kernel of what was my part in this. And when you get there, you generally can find some peace. And for me, that is what writing has been my best tool.